This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing, and I'm your host, J. Scott. I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field enjoying God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a special guest uh, that's uh, real special to me. I'm a big turkey fanatic, and uh, Scott Ellis has been someone that I've looked up to for many years. Uh, Scott Ellis is from Florida. He's the 2013 N15 Grand National Head-to-Head Champion. And I watched him compete this year in the senior finals. And uh, honestly, I thought he was going to win. I thought he was going to win the whole thing. I was sitting in the second row. And uh, Scott, how you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm doing great. Till you put that thorn in my side about that second place in the open. <laughs> well, I got to be honest. You know, I I thought uh, Billy Argus uh, had a great run, but uh, honestly, I, I I thought you had a phenomenal run. And uh, you know, I don't know how the judges pick uh, pick between you guys, um, but I thought you guys all did a great job. You know, it was a great experience. I, I couldn't be happier. Billy Argus, even though this is his second one, and I've yet to capture the Open. Had three top fives, but uh, couldn't be happier for Billy. It couldn't be a better champion, just a more humble, awesome person. He's just a good human being before he is a great turkey caller, and I, and I love him for that. But um, we were a point apart. You know, it's it's a it's a stroke of a pen at that level, and uh, it was it was a lot of great calling. It was tight. It was a tight race from first to fifth. Was like uh, oh seven or eight points. So it was literally a point and a half, two points between each place um, all the way down, and Billy and I being a point apart. Um, matter of fact, Vance Ice and I were only half a point apart from second to third. So it was a great contest. Um, I was going in strong. You know, I, I'm building a lot of confidence, and I think my momentum is picking up with my calling and what I'm doing on the stage. And I just couldn't be happier happier with the results other than if I'd have won that sucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I I know when uh, Van Sice was, um, when they called him as, uh, you know, third place, I thought, you know, honestly, I thought you had won. And, uh, you know, I, I watched you on the stage in 2012. I, I missed, uh, or excuse me, let's see, I saw you on the stage in 2013. All right. And um, I missed 14. And... I've got to say, I've been following you on YouTube, and I just think you're getting better and better and better. What do you attribute that to, Scott? Never being satisfied is the easiest way to attribute it to. Um, and, I, and I have to agree with you. If, if you're not trying to improve at this level, my friend, you're getting left behind. Um, sure. The guys are just so impressive with their calling ability, their skill. Everybody is studying turkeys. They're putting little simple nuances and little little tiny half note yelps and little clucks and bubble clucks in different places that's just adding so much realism and if you're not doing that constantly and and I'm and I'm constantly also trying to obtain just a better sound I won't say my sound has changed a 180 by no means but my sound is evolving I think and I'm just refining it bringing a little more realism into it and uh like I said if you if you're not going forward you're getting left behind and um it's it's a it's a lot of practice. It's tinkering with materials and building calls, as you asked me earlier. How, how do you attribute that? It's it's tinkering and tweaking your calls and tuning your mouth calls and and snipping and stretching a little tighter, a little looser. Um, and and there's been a huge industry change and shift in, in latex over the last two years. 
So guys, we're having we're having to reinvent the wheel, and all of our my competitors are we're having to reinvent the wheel to continue to evolve and get and keep and maintain that 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 the most that we can get out of a piece of latex, anyways. So. Yeah, absolutely, and I know it changes from year to year, and different rolls are you know cut in different right. uh, thicknesses, and so I'm sure it causes a little bit of a nightmare. Scott, I see here you're a Mossy Oak National Pro Staff, a Woodhaven Custom Calls Pro Staff Manager. You're on the Old Tom Elite Team, uh, Pro Staff with Thermocell and True Glow. <laughs> uh, you've uh, completed a single season Grand Slam last year in 2014, but also have what three Grand Slams so, to your credit? Okay, I have three total in one single season. Yes, sir. That was last year. What a blast! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's been fun watching you your career kind of evolve. Um, how did it all start, Scott? I mean, when you first put a turkey call in your mouth, were you good or were you bad? I mean, did um, you just immediately pick it up and were very good at it, or? I, I mean, I guess I, I've worked with a lot of people and taught a ton of people how to run a mouth call, Jay. And some people, I, I have a neighbor of mine will blow your mind. I literally handed the man one of my signature Woodhaven custom calls, one of my uh, signature series, Ellis Signature, and he just blew me away. He had heard me calling for like two years, and he hears me in the yard, and you know, and he'll holler at me and gobble at me down the street. It's funny. So, so that being said, he was a natural at it. He he literally just put the call in. I said, "Get the air to seal." Now start doing what you hear me doing, and he started mimicking me, and I was blown away how good he could literally do it. So. Was that me? I was about 10 when I started, so I've been 30 years, maybe even even nine. Um, I really remember vaguely putting the call in and sealing the air and started chirping and making sound. Uh, from there, I mean, but but right away, were you like, I mean, all turkey, or did you really have to no, work at it? No, no, no. I'd be, I'd be, no, absolutely not. I, I just could eat. I put the call in my mouth. It was a twin two Quaker boy, double read, straight double read. I still remember the call. And uh -huh. um, I put it in my mouth and started and, and, and instantly started creating sound. And so from there, I had to really start studying hens and understanding the language a little bit and then start developing from there. And, and, and calls have gone, as you well know, have gone 180 degrees in the last 30 years, mouth calls, that is, with cuts and designs and stretches and everything. So, so to answer your question, no, it wasn't like I put it in and I'm all of a sudden got feathers and I'm a turkey magically. But I was, I did, was able to put the call in my mouth and, and initially create sound very easily. So, and that just, and it just morphed from there. Yep. Scott, how much do you think the advancement in technology in the last, say, four or five years with uh, YouTube and social media and being able to, you know, people can post, uh, you know, turkey footage, turkey sounds. How much do you think that that's actually helped people or helped you, where you can hear? you know, birds from New Mexico and Nebraska and, you know, Ohio. And, and how much of that do you think, you know, helps people these days? Oh, my gosh. It's it's limitless. YouTube is a bevy of, of useful information. You know what I mean? It's I, it's an encyclopedia from recorded hen sounds to, to me attributing to that with my YouTube instructionals that I've had up for probably four years now, three or four years now, which evolved into my DVDs that maybe we can chat about later. But um it's everywhere, and I think technology has played a huge role in the success of turkey hunters, not only in instruction, just in, in sound of calls and decoys and uh, in latexes and pot calls and camouflage. It's, it's played a huge role across the board industry-wide in the last, I would say, five to ten years. It's, it's been amazing. So the average guy can literally go on YouTube and click a couple video instructionals, 
listen to some turkeys, and then within a week, a guy can go out there and call up a turkey. Now, whether he knows exactly how to do it or what he's what he's saying or doing is is remains to be seen. But he can create the sounds within I, I bet within a week, a couple of days or a week. So it's been a huge, huge um, advancement for the for the average everyday hunter that's learning learning the sport, learning how to call turkeys. Yeah, I think it's fantastic, uh, you know, to get as many people as we can involved. And I think by by using video and, you know, your your videos are phenomenal. I haven't seen Mouth Call Magic 2. Why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, what, what got you to want to create those DVDs and uh, tell me, you know, the differences between the first and the second and uh, some of the feedback you've gotten, et cetera. Okay. Well, Mouth Call Magic started with uh, uh, the, the YouTube clips, um, and and it just started with my my desire to help people. I like helping people succeed at whatever it is they're doing, man, whether it's their golf swing or whether it's the kirky calling. or I like helping people and seeing them succeed and be successful. It's just part of my nature. Um, Mouth Call Magic started again with the YouTube clips, and I, it just started, the, the hits started coming, you know, the views started coming, thousands and thousands of hits, and I'm going, man, this is really awesome. I'd like to dive into a little more detail and make a DVD and see if it can get out there. And, it, you know, it's it's a double, it's a double-edged sword. It helps me, and it helps the the, uh, the hunter. I mean, I make a little money off of it. I'd be lying if I said I didn't, but it's 30 years of me running a mouth call, and it's the real deal. You've got it. I mean, it's teaching things. I think in a manner that most people have not heard or seen or had it broken down and, and shown to them that way. Like, you know, you hear the age old adage, put the horseshoe facing out, say chirp, chirp, chirp. I mean, that's been, that's been kicked around for long as I've been alive and somebody needed truly to do something different. And my techniques are truly quite different in the air delivery. And I teach that in mouth call magic one. So that's kind of how it all got started. Um, Mouth Call Magic 1 is a breakdown of all of the hens, but most, uh, well, I think seven or eight of a hen's vocalizations of the 10 or 12 really common sounds you're going to hear a turkey make, a hen make. And um, and I'm running a split V throughout that whole program, And um, but it's just more on mechanics. Those same mechanics will, will make you good sound, will create good sound on any type of call, okay? And then there's two Osceola hunts on the, on the tail end of that, just on public land, actually, and... Uh, that's the basic mouth call magic. It gives you all the mechanics, all the breakdown of all the calls that a hen makes, the seven or eight major calls. Um, and mouth call magic too, I wanted to put a different spin on it, Jay. I wanted to, um, I wanted the, the the hunter to have a, an option of understanding the different characteristics of the four main cuts on a mouth call. Now there's spinoffs of everything. My, two of my designs with Woodhaven are spinoffs of of a V, you know, of a, and one's a sure. batwing actually. Sure. But but what I used was a bat wing, a ghost cut, a combo cut, and a split V. And what I did is I taught three different styles of hen yelping, being the front end hen yelping, which is the all front, almost no back end, no rasp, just dragging that front. The rollover yelp, which is the snappier two-tone into a raspy back end that you hear more traditionally. And then the transition yelp, which is kind of the way I yelp on the stage, the hen that has a little front, and then she kind of starts going and she has just a tiny little front as she um, um, slides into the rasp into the back end. So I teach the three styles of hen yelping on four different calls, the four major mouth calls. And from there, I go into clucking and purring, kiki running, cutting, fly down cackle, and tree talk. And on those same four calls. Um, after that, we've got a locator segment on running a reeded owl hooter, uh, a crow call segment on locating with a crow call. And then we have Waiting on Tom, <laughs> my music video I was a part of that was a blast. 
And lastly, we it goes into a the a Grand Slam hunt with me traipsing across the nation, um, killing a Grand Slam. It was awesome. So got a lot of good content in part two. Um, man, amazingly enough, I'm still selling the fire out of Mouth Call Magic. It's unbelievable. After a new release and people buying both of them, the people just going back and buying the original. It's awesome. I I, I have had overwhelming positive testimony on on from message boards to messages to emails and letters and posts on Facebook and social media. I, I, I have my friends and, com and competitors that literally advocate my DVD to people saying, if you want to really take it to another level, get Scott's Mouth Call Magic. So it's been a labor of love for me. I'm a, I'm a proud papa of the project, if you will. I'm a proud daddy. I, I'm, I'm happy where it's gone, and it's still doing well, and Mouth Call Magic is now it's, is doing well as well. And um, I couldn't be more happy, couldn't be more excited for the projects. That's awesome, Scott. Tell my listeners where they can find uh, the best way to, to get your contact info and where they can find Mouth Call Magic 1 and 2. What's the best way? www.scottellishunting.com. It's that simple, my friend. Scottellishunting.com. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Hey, Scott, let's shift gears a little bit. And what differences do you see while hunting, hunting the four different birds? I mean, obviously, you've done the Grand Slam and you've got your single season slam. Uh, I, I, I saw something that you said earlier, you know, a turkey's a turkey, a turkey. Yep. But which bird would you say, in your mind, day in and day out, is the easiest to call in, and which one's the hardest? You know what? I mean, people are going to say, well, he's from Florida. He's going to say the Osceola. Well, I've been hunting Easterns for 20 years, and Osceolas, well, I was hunting them 10 years before I started hunting Easterns. So I've been hunting Easterns 20, Osceolas 30 and the Rio and the Miriams have been hunting for about five years. So that's the latter of the two. So um, without a doubt, the Osceola is the most difficult and, and, and nothing adheres more, more truthful to an Osceola hunt than less is more. Um, the Osceola turkey is just not as acceptable to all of the loud cutting, yelping. I, Again, there's always exceptions to every rule, Jay. I feel like i got to say that because sure, there's always sure. going to be exceptions. I've called in Osceolas that I've scalded all the way to the gun barrel and they gobble great, just like a, a Miriam does. But as a whole, hunting them across the state, you just you can't over – they're very, very susceptible to overcalling. And Florida being – other than pasture land hunting and an oak hammock, Florida tends to be a thicker type terrain in a lot of places. So I think that's a reason that they don't gobble as much. So they're harder to pinpoint and harder to locate. A lot, I think, because of terrain, and I think because what's happening across the United States personally, and that's predators. I mean, coyotes are in my backyard, and I live just outside of a major city, and they're they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah. So um, now to go back to your original question, Osceola being the hardest, and I think the Miriam would probably – Let's say they're the funnest because a Miriam in my in in my years of of hunting them over the last four or five years, they're a blast to hunt. I'm hunting. I've hunted them on private land. I've not hunted them on public ground, but they love to gobble. But buddy, you better pour it to them because if they if you don't keep their interest peak, they will walk off to the next thing. Because the one thing I found about a Miriams, they're always moving. They're always covering ground more than any of the other subspecies that I've hunted. That in Rio's or a close second to that ground coverage. They're moving. They're going somewhere, it seems like, many, many times. But um, a Miriam and a Rio, to me, is simply easier in the fact that you can just call to them a lot more, and they're a lot less likely to hang up because you call too much to them, if that makes any sense. So 
Yeah, and and I have to agree with you. I have not hunted the eastern or the Osceola, and I, you know we have Merriams here in our home state of Arizona and Goulds and Rios, but primarily Merriams, and that's how kind of where I cut my teeth turkey hunting. And I gotta say that to hear you say that kind of makes me smile because there's sometimes <laughs> when I think those Merriams just have ADD. ADD. I mean, it's like <laughs> there we go. you know. It's it's like a kid on his uh, you know on his cell phone and you take that away and he's going to his Game Boy or something else. I mean they Literally. they just they move from one thing to another and it's like you know if you don't get their attention, get it quick and keep it. They're they're on to something else. To the next best thing. It's amazing. I I, I uh, I'm glad that we you hunting them a lot longer than I have. It's good to hear that you uh, were in agreement on that because and they're a blast and they gobble their brains out and they gobble all day long. But man, oh man, you better you better talk sexy love to them, or they are going to find the next little hot thing that comes along. <laughs> for sure, they're a little bit fickle, for sure. But uh, they do they do gobble well. Uh, if if you only could hunt one, you you said well for the rest of your life you can only hunt one bird. <laughs> Where is it, and what is it? Wow, put me on the spot, Jay. Yeah, I know. Oh, you know. I, okay, I, I'll give you a quick rundown of what I've my history of easterns. My first eastern was harvested on Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and mm-hmm. that's where I was stationed in 1995 when I was serving in the, in the army. And um, if I was to hunt one bird, um, probably be an eastern in big giant hardwoods. Um, probably there's a lot of pristine woods in Fort Jackson, uh, untouched virgin timber, you know. And it's mm-hmm. just gorgeous. The gobble rings and echoes like no other place in the universe through those big hardwoods. And um, I would probably hunt Easterns in South Carolina if I was to settle on one place that I had to hunt on the rest of my life. Okay, that's cool. You know, um, not having hunted Eastern or uh, Osceola yet, um, a bunch of my hunters that come out and hunt Gould's turkeys with me, they just, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, a bunch of those boys, Georgia, they're like, until you've heard an eastern bird oh, gobble, yeah. you haven't heard nothing yet. I, I would have to agree. Osceola's gobble very similar, you know, to a, to an eastern. A um, lot of rattle, uh, a lot more rasp, um, as opposed to a Rio and a Miriam being almost a laughing. You know that you know yeah. you've heard that a hundred. Yeah. And then yeah. an Osceola or an eastern gobble is more of a rattle and much more raspier than my voice. But it, it just echoes, and I think the volume is twice, honestly, an eastern is of the other subspecies. I, I really believe it's a louder gobble than an Osceola or, or Rio or Miriam. And I haven't hunted goulds yet. I haven't got the chance to hunt goulds. You and I have talked yeah, about I, that I, a little bit. But <laughs> I got to get I got to get you out here and hunt the goulds. Uh, you know, I would say you'd put them at the very end uh, as far as, e- you know, easiest birds. Uh, they just don't get any pressure. They don't right. get called to. Um you know they've got those great big tail fans, and yeah. they love to gobble. They love to strut. But I got to get you out here and do that. Um, love to. What? 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 Um, what's your schedule this year? Where do you start? Give me, give me kind of a rundown of what's in front of you this season. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow, it is a whirlwind because see, as the Grand Nationals finishes up um, in mid Feb. Um, then the world comes into play, the World Calling Championships, which I'm not even going to be in attendance, this, which is this weekend, uh, the 28th, I believe it is. Yeah, 28th, Saturday the 28th. And why is that? Why am I not going to the world? Well, because I'm going to the woods to scout. <laughs> Matter of nice. fact, the youth season in the south zone of Florida is Saturday morning on March, nope. or February 28th, excuse me. 
Absolutely. Will they be hammering already? Oh, they're already they're already gobbling their brains out, buddy. They're gobbling, they're strutting, they're doing it. You remember, we're in Florida, we're in a subtropical climate down here, and it's been a cool. So now is that is that Osceola or is that Eastern? No, no, Osceola, way south, way south. See, okay, okay. South okay. of Gainesville is about your the line of de- demarcation around Gainesville. So yeah, this but this is this is an hour. I'm in Mulberry, Florida, which is in Central Florida, and I'm an hour south. And um, okay, so the youth season starts Saturday, and I'm going to actually be scouting uh, where I'm going to be guiding on March the 7th. Next Saturday starts the season, the first turkey season outside of the youth day um, in the south zone starts uh, March 7th. And I will be down guiding two gentlemen that are trying to complete their Grand Slam with Locklear Hunting and Guide Service down in South Florida. good friend of mine, Ryan Locklear, owns the outfitter business and uh, guiding those two guys. And then... On Sunday, I've got Turkey Call coming in, and we're going to be filming an NWTF Turkey Call episode with me trying to kill me in Osceola down in South Florida. And then we're going to hunt there for three days at Locklear as well. Um, coming back home, going to work for two days, and then the excitement really starts. On March the 14th, my little man Jake, we got drawn for a superb, superb uh, state land hunt called the Bears Unit. And uh, it's a uh, awesome track of public land here in Central Florida. And... Um, we're going to be hunting there with Jake to try for the for the youth season on the rest of the state season, if you will. That's on the 14th. Yep. Hunt with Jake Saturday and Sunday, and uh, then going back to work for four, for five days, unfortunately. <laughs> and um, <laughs> on Friday the 20th, the 20th, I believe it is, uh, my good friend from West Virginia and uh, competition caller Wade Boyles is coming in from from West Virginia, um, and we're hunting the same public land track that I was drawn for on that one as well. And uh, Wade and I are going to try to get him on his complete Grand Slam. He's got a, he likes an Osceola, so we're going to try to get after an Osceola with him. Um, from there, the second weekend, amazingly enough, another friend of mine, a close friend, Simon Ellis, got drawn for the same piece of public land. So we're literally going to be in there hunting three weekends in a row on state land on some of the most some of the best state land you can get drawn for, and it's a quota hunt, a quota draw. And sure. uh, after that... Um, Going to South Carolina for four or five days. I'm going to probably get my dates mixed up, so I'll probably just start kind of timelining it. But um, sure. South Carolina for several days, then coming back to Florida for several days, then Georgia for several days, then West Virginia with Wade Boyles again. And after West Virginia finishes up in the end of May, first part, or end of April, first part of May, I think I may have Texas on the horizon and possibly New York. So there's there's my whirlwind, my friend. <laughs> Fantastic. That's awesome. So will you be able to – are you going to throw Nebraska in there? Will there be another uh, Grand Slam, single-season Grand not, Slam or not probably not this year? I'm not um, – yeah. I did not get the, the uh, Miriams lined up again this year. So we're just chasing turkeys and piling them up as high as we can pile them. It don't matter the subspecies. I don't discriminate, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. As long as they gobble, they're they're uh, coming game. into your they're gun barrel. Game to me. But, yeah, no Grand Slam in the in the, in the the uh, forecast this year, but maybe next year I'll get back after it. And, and definitely would love to, to – I, I really want to do the Goulds thing. We should definitely talk soon about that. But Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Scott, I was just watching on YouTube uh, a 2012 hunt that you were doing – and it's 2012 Merriam's Turkey Hunt with Scott Ellis on YouTube. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. That was really cool how he was right down your gun barrel, and it sounded like he fired that bird up, and he was just hammering. Was he alone or with other birds? Did he leave birds, or, or what was the scoop on that? Um, You're going to have to humor me here, Jay. Is that the one that comes from way across and comes up through the creek and up the hill? To yeah. Me? Oh, yeah. Yep. That, what, 
No, he was out there strutting, and you really we never got footage of him. He was literally, and as you well know, how far Miriam's will travel is for they'll come to you from forever away. Uh, he was yeah, a, it was the one that you were above and looking down right. through some pines, and it was a bunch of green grass, and right. then finally he popped up. That was the creek, and he was all the way across the creek and on that other hillside. If you heard me talk in the interview at the end of it, he was literally a thousand yards away. And you know how sound travels out there. I mean, it's just amazing how far you can hear a bird gobble in that open terrain. But um, he was out there strutting by himself. It was it was just a little bit after daylight. Um, he started on strutting on that hillside, and I started jazzing him up and giving him a little attitude adjustment and a uh, little bit of cutting, a little bit of yelping, grabbed his attention, and then started sucking him in like a vacuum cleaner, buddy. <laughs> and he had yeah, no I... hands with him, and I just, I just sucked him right in, right down the gun barrel. I mean, it was just an amazing hunt. Uh, a fair bit of calling. I didn't have to get too crazy with him as far as really keeping his attention because uh, once I had him coming, he acted more like almost like an Eastern. He just kind of kept it on coming, and I'd give him a little reminder that he needed to come visit Sweet Love over here on the next hillside. And yeah. um, as you saw, he came through the creek, crossed a actual creek down in that green grass that you can't see, and uh, came through that, that creek up the hill and right in the gun range. And that bird actually completed my first uh, Grand Slam right there. So um, nothing, just a, just a good textbook hunt, strike him, get his attention and give him just enough to keep him moving towards your position. Just textbook hunt. How, how on that hunt, uh, did you guys have any roost setups? Did you actually work some Merriam's off the roost? And I was just curious, uh, with, with Merriam's, if you've had a chance to, you know, work birds that are roosted and what has been your experience as far as, you know, do they come right down to you off the roost or is it more, uh, you, you know, run and gun during the day and strike a bird. And then right, move right. In I've, I've experienced a little bit of everything um, and the birds that I've killed out west. Um, that particular bird, let me let me recollect my memories here. That particular bird um, was, was, was off the roost. You see it was pretty dim. Um, it was pretty much off the roost, but I don't know exactly where he roosted. He roosted off in the pines in the distance, if you look at the video, and then just kind of worked his way to what I believe was his strut zone on the side of that hill. Um, now, last year when I was in Nebraska, we had three gobblers and a hen and a jake and a wad roosted in the same creek bottom that you saw that gobbler cross, but we were on the other side of them, above mm -hmm. them. And those birds gobbled their brains out in the tree, flew down, and started climbing up the same direction where that bird that we just discussed came from. Okay. Same, same path that bird took. They were going away from us. Yeah. And, uh, I put, I put this shenanigans on them. I, I started lighting them up and just cutting super aggressive and excited yelping and cutting and yelping. And they all stopped and they all three gobbled and they gobbled some more. And I kept cutting and kept pouring it and kept cutting. And I think I may have been even picked up a glass call. I can't remember at one point we're running two different calls. And they did an about face, came back through the creek bottom, the same one the other bird we discussed went through, and came up the other side of the hill. And my buddy and I, Cannon Linder, and I doubled on those. There was three of them we doubled. And so you literally had birds going away, and then you just away. poured the coals to them. Just poured it to them with everything I had and scalded them and turned them around 180 and it came right to us. It was absolutely amazing. Yep. So in, in a situation like that, when they're going away and they're answering you, the birds are gobbling, were the hens actually answering or was it basically the gobblers? No, no, just were the gobbling. gobblers. That hen never said a word, just the gobblers. Yep. So if they hammer and you pop, 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 right. pop, 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 and they hammer again, do you just keep your keep 
doing field. what you're doing. I keep, and then as soon as they gobble, you hit them again, and they gobble again, and you hit them again. And especially, a key, key note here, especially whenever I can see their body language, and I can see them pause, and I can see them turn around and look where, where, where my position is. And they're looking for me, looking for this hen, you know. And they're and these birds are 700 yards. I mean, they're little dots. You know what I mean? And right. they are hammering their brains out. And, and I'm watching their body language, and they start slowing down as I'm hammering them. They're gobbling and they're gobbling. They start slowing down. They stop. Then they turn around. They literally turn their body and look at me. And I'm pouring it to them again, just pouring it to them. And finally, they they said, well, you know what? Obviously, what's up on that hill? I convinced them is better than what they've got standing with them right there. And they did. They when they turned and stopped and looked up there and gobbled five or six more times, and I kept lighting them up. Oh, here they come, like a vacuum cleaner. I just sucked them right in, buddy. Once I got them jazzed up, I gave them what I call an attitude adjustment. They were on their way, my friend, on their way. And and then when they once they committed and were coming, did you tone it down or did you keep it right I, on? I going? did. I did what I typically do. I, once I got them and I saw them come up out of the creek and I saw them climbing up that real steep ridge that we were on. I started yeah. calming it down, but I had, but I checked them every so often, and you would hear them gobble, and you could tell they were like below you and on the side of. It was a very steep embankment that we were above them on, and you could hear them gobbling, and then it get a little bit louder and a little bit louder. But all I was doing as I had them sucked in was just was just checking them with just a little bit, a couple cuts and a yelp, couple cuts and a yelp. Nothing. Once I turned them and I got their interest, I started playing coy with them a little bit, you know, and they just started climbing up that hillside. All of a sudden, uh, they popped up, and or they gobbled one time, and I was like, they're right there. Get ready. They're about to pop up. All of a sudden, you see heads start looking up over this embankment where, you know, the steep ridge that we're set up above them on. And they piled right up in there, strutted around, and gobbled and gobbled and strutted around. And then I said, let's do this, son. And one, two, three, ba-boom. <laughs> and we doubled, and it was an awesome hunt. Awesome. That That is incredible. Um, Scott, I don't know if you have a mouth call laying around, but could you – can I put you on the spot and have you maybe give me kind of the sequence where you got them fired up and then tell, show me the difference in what you did just to kind of keep them coming? Do you have a call there? I do, absolutely. Um, again, once I thought, you know, it's, it's decision time when you're watching a bird that's actively answering you and he's walking away but still gobbling good, you've got to do something, whether it's, you know, at, for me, I'm going to continue using some type of hen talk at first and then it could go to even gobbling or fighting purring but when you see him walking away and you're watching him walk away but yet still actively answering you it's time to give it all you got which is why i preach to people about calling strong calling more realistic being able to control your call you know you, let's just do some comparison here you can cut like this and yell and get a great response from a turkey here we go joe mildly excited she's a little jazzed up about something but to answer your question when those birds were leaving going up the hillside away from me i said son it's time i was telling cannon i said it's time to get nasty here we go and i got funky on them and and that you heard that level of excitement now we're going to get really excited Kind of excitement level so they just boom, and then oh, you just go right back into and goblin and it, i mean i literally called that long normally in any given sequence i will never call that long to a turkey 
But in that particular sequence, was I, they were gobbling, they were gobbling, they kept gobbling, I kept calling, and it went on like that for 45 seconds. And that's when I got them to about face and turned them to you. Now, is that going to apply to every turkey hunt in every situation? Absolutely not. But when that bird, whether it's a Miriam, Osceola, Rio, Goulds that I've never hunted, Eastern or whatever, when they're turning and leaving and answering you, it's either time to try and get nasty with them and turn them back around and regain their attention, or you better reposition on them. And there was no way we were going to get around on those turkeys. So we had to do and the last. Yeah, that would be my question. So they, let's say they're moving away. You have the choice to fire them up or you have the choice to reposition. Are you going to try and fire and see the reaction? And Absolutely. if they don't really give it to you, then you're going to move and circle around and get in front of them. Absolutely. Every single time, whether I'm in heavy timber hunting Easterns or whether I'm out West, I'm going to do that first. Now we had no option there. Those birds would have seen us. We were in the, we were on in, in some Ponderosa pines on the side of a ridge with no way we had, it, it was on the side of an embankment with a creek bed down in front of us. That's where these turkeys sure. roosted. We were never going to reposition on them. So I had to pull out all the stops and get crazy nasty like I just did. And that was the only thing we could do and it worked, but I will do the same thing to any subspecies that starts moving away from me, but is, is gobbling very well at me. I will mm-hmm. pour it to them before I do anything. And then if that doesn't work, then it's time to shut up, go to your locator, and move around and reposition, get in front of them, try it. Maybe where you were at, he just didn't want to come, and all you got to do is move around and get even with him, checking him with a crow call or an owl hooter or a hawk screamer or something other than a turkey call, and then sit down on him and then try to call him back in. So, Okay, so when you do decide to move, uh, you are not turkey calling t- to them at all. You are locating calling only, and you use that locator to get around, figure out where they're at, figure out which direction they're still moving. You're not going to blow a turkey call no. until you get where you need to be and set up, and then you start turkey calling. Exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. I mean, there is the rare times when he just won't gobble at a locator, but generally if that gobbler's that fired up, he'll gobble at, and I will mix up locators. I'll use my voice. I'll do a crow with my voice. I'll do an owl. And I'll, and I'll mix it up so he's not hearing the exact same locator and he's not becoming immune to it, if you will. I'll throw sure. in a hawk. But um, sometimes it doesn't work. If it doesn't work and you have to hand call to locate him, well, there's a very good chance you're not going to call him in. If, you're ha- if he's not that fired up and you're having to use hand calls and you're having to move on him, all I would say is do it very sparing and make bigger movements that do not endanger you spooking him, but make bigger, you know, 100-yard increment movements before you check him again. Because, Lord willing, you get far enough in front of him that when you do hen call at that point, he gets excited, thinks it's a different hen. I will often also change mouth calls or change friction calls. Generally, I'm going to be running a mouth call when I'm in that position. Uh, But I will change calls and sound like an entirely different hen when I do reposition or, or even if I have to use a hen call when I reposition. Because he gets the, it gives the illusion that it's a completely different hen that's crossed his path, and he and you're in a new position, and it might be a position that he's more apt to travel to. So, absolutely, absolutely, that that's a great tip right there. And Scott, are you? Um, let's say early season, maybe when the birds are not fired up, or even late season, maybe they're just not, you know, for whatever reason, it's a day and they're just not really cranked up. But let's say you know there's a gobbler, he's got hens. <laughs> He's answering you every once in a while, but the hens are responsive to you, and they're still going away, but the hens are answering. Are you going to get on those hens, or are you going to, first first case scenario, you're going to reposition on them? Well, one of the first things that I tried to do 
And this is something, I mean, I think this is a really good tip for anybody that's, that's out there listening. When you first make contact with a gobbler, the first one of the first things that I do outside of feeling how fired up he is, what mood is he in, is he aggressive, is he just gobbling his brains out, is he, is he randomly gobbling, not actively answering very well. Outside of that and taking his temperature, as old Will Primos has coined the phrase, outside of that, I try to identify if he has hens or not. Because if you can identify, many times you can't. Many times he'll have hens, they'll never say a word. And chances mm-hmm. are, if that flock of hens is with that gobbler, and you never realize it, and you don't know that you're fighting a battle against a flock of hens, you're probably not going to engage those hens anyways, okay? But what I try to do when I make initial contact is ID whether he has hens. And that generally goes back to my number one statement is always start with the basics. Why do you start with the basics? One, you don't want to dump out all your bag of tricks on the table. You don't want to put your ace in the hole out there. I cluck and yelp and just start the conversation. Not only because I want to hold those tricks in my bag for the gobbler, because if a gobbler has hens, Jay, and it's and he has his harem, in my experience in 30 years, he's going to have two types of boss hens that are going to be in charge of that flock of harem. There's going to be a hen that's in charge. If that hen, there's going to be a passive hen or an aggressive hen, okay? If it's the mm-hmm. passive hen and you engage that gobbler with just general conversation and it's the passive hen, that hen will will many times will yelp real softly back to you or cluck at you and say, hello, well, how are you doing? You're saying hello. You're saying hello to the gobbler. You're saying potentially hello to hens that you may not even know is there, and you're just starting in a conversation, okay? Mm -hmm. From there, the bird gobbles, the hen yelps back, okay, whoa, he's got hens. So I'm going to continue to be civil with that girl. I'm going to talk very calmly and collectively to her, and – if she doesn't start cutting within the first minute of our conversation, guess what? She is the passive hen. She's not the aggressive hen, which we're going to mm-hmm. go into. And I will continue to call to that girl once I realize she's got hens and there's a very good chance that gobbler's not going to leave them, which, you know, sometimes you can change the course of nature. And that gobbler just, he has no hot hens that's not being bred. And that gobbler comes running to you, leaving the hens. We've done it before and we think we're. We beat on our chest like Tarzan <laughs> when we call yeah. a gobbler away from hens and we think we've really done something when in all reality, I think the hens just weren't ready to breed. But anyways, you, you just continue to conversate very calmly with that hen. And I will even, once I've identified because she's being calm and collective and not, and not aggressing, being aggressive to me, I'll even throw in a kiki run. Very, very, very uh, good tip. Softly kiki to that hen. Act like you're a Jenny that's kind of out of the flock. Maybe you got, you know, you're you're busted from another flock. You're looking so for you're something. you're no threat to her. You're None. no threat to her by throwing in the kiki. You're Absolutely. a young turkey that's just wanting to be a part of the I flock. I want company. Okay. Right. Now there is the that's the scenario, and I will work that whole flock of hens in nothing more than clucking, soft yelping, and maybe some soft kiki running. Nothing, no cutting, no carrying on, no aggressive yelping, nothing. Now. Like I mentioned a minute ago, if that hen immediately starts chap- starts cutting you off and cutting and getting aggravated at you, guess what do we do? Fire back. Fire right back at her because that's the aggressive hen. And if that's the aggressive hen, you know, six out of ten times, I can convince her and piss her off enough that she will bring the whole wad of them over here to figure out who this is challenging her and her harem of hens. 
So okay, now Scott, when you say the hen, the aggressive hen starts cutting back at you, right? So will you, if she, pop, 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 you know, cuts right back at you, will you mimic the exact sound she's doing, or will you just answer with your own cuts back to her? I mean, the 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 age old adage is do exactly what she's doing. So I would say it's a safe bet to just copy her, but more importantly, it's to call on top of her. Once I get her mouthy, and buddy, you start yelping and cutting back at her and covering her up, and you can hear her pausing. If you remember one thing about today, remember when turkeys are doing their sequences, there's always breaks in it. Why are those breaks there, Jay? Because they're listening. They're listening for the other birds, exactly. So when she stops, and you'll hear her. I mean, if you're doing your thing right and she's close enough, you can hear her. She'll pause and listen to you carrying on and just covering her up while she's trying to talk back at you and you offend her. Buddy, then the game is on. Then you've then you've attacked the aggressive factor in that aggressive hen, and very very often that that the aggressive hen will come looking to attack or fight or put a whooping on the old hen, this this other this challenger, this new person that you that you've offended or that she's offended, and and there he comes right in behind him. You let the hens clear, and boom, you got your gobbler. So <laughs> there's my take on on hunting the passive and aggressive hen in a flock of hens. When, when a awesome. gobbler has hands, when a gobbler has hands, sorry, Jay. Yeah, no, that's that's a fantastic tip. And Scott, would you say when you're checking that gobbler to see if if he has hands, if if he's really hammering, double hammering, you know, he's just giving it to you, or is it is that a pretty good indication if you don't hear any hands and he's really hammering that he makes? Is that how you say? Yeah, I, I how do you know when old, a gobbler's by himself? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm so careful when I try to give people tips or, or give them direction on what I think is the right way. But turkeys so so often do things so different, and they go outside the box. And they do the opposite of what they're supposed to do, what we've coined them, or, or what textbooks say they're supposed to do. But as a general rule of thumb, I would say if he's just hammering like that and starting to move towards you, yeah, it's a pretty safe bet that at that point that, that he probably doesn't have hints. I won't say every time. But generally, if he's gobbling like that, then he probably has no hens with him. It's a pretty safe bet. So this gobbler doesn't have hens. He's hammering at everything you make. He's moving in your direction. What do you do? And then show me what you do with the caller. I mean, are you pretty quiet, calling sparingly? You know, if you really you got someone that you're guiding and you really want them to get their bird, you're not trying to, you know, blow up the TV screen. You're just trying to right. kill that bird. Show me what you're going to do. Well, I mean, as I just said, the beautiful thing about the start simple te um, technique that I was just mentioning, whether it's talking to him or talking to what you think is him with hens, is that you start with the basics. Dude, if I can cluck and yelp a turkey in and that's all I've got to do is just some basic clucking and yelping, just like so I'm going to run a Woodhaven Vision right now. Clucking. Nothing excited. I'm a so if he hammers that, if oh. he hammers that, then you just give it a little bit of time and let him move up and yeah. then maybe call again. Let the bird work. Play cat and mouse, man. That's half the battle. That's half of killing a turkey is playing cat and mouse. Now, here's the beauty of this. He gets out there 70 yards. All you've done is just clucked and yelped to him. Then you have cutting. You have a fight. You have gobbling. I've seen so many times where guys... I say I see it. It's not because I have control of it. Uh, you see it on television. You hear about it. The guys, you know, all in the same. They're doing this, dude. This is, here we go. Here we go. They're fighting purring. 
excited, yelping, cutting. Then they start contending for him. All within the same sequence. <laughs> they, those people don't know what they're trying to say to a turkey. Haven't they just confused the bird? The bird has no idea what he's doing. He's, he's probably going to be end up being traumatized and bipolar by the end of that conversation. <laughs> because he don't know what you just said to him, which is what I try to teach to people so often. Start with general conversation. Many times that's all you need. But when he does hang up at 60, 70, then you can get nasty with him and watch how many times when you get nasty with him. When all you've done is pulled him in with clucking and yelping, that's all you've done. And you need to get nasty. Watch how many birds you'll kill when you seal the deal with just some fast, excited yelping and cutting real hard. If that doesn't yeah. work, maybe that pulls him 10 more yards today, 15 more yards. Sure. Then, then his mood changes a little bit again. He kind of loses interest. Then I either go completely silent, which is deadly. No calling yep. is always awesome calling, okay? You go mm -hmm. silent. If that doesn't work, I'll start clucking and purring. I mean, it's, it's a feel thing to some degree. But I'll start clucking, purring, muted, yelping, whining, doing that kind of thing to seal the deal, to convince him, scratching in the leaves, creating sounds outside of turkey vocalizations that are turkey sounds, and sealing the deal. So it's the, it's the art of calling a turkey, not the art of killing a turkey. You see what I'm sure. saying? There's an art to Absolutely. it. There's an art form to it. And it's about communicating to him in his own language. And that's what Absolutely. people fail to mention. All they know is cut, 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 yelp, yelp, yelp. They know turkey racket. They don't know turkey vocabulary. It's that simple. Yeah, I, that makes a lot of sense. That absolutely makes a lot of sense. Let's talk real fast on you've got birds in the roost, and let's say they're out there about as far out as you can hear them. You've got time to move in the morning, uh, you know, to move in close. Uh, how close do you move into them? If, if you're pretty confident that they cannot see you, and you can continue their gobbling pretty good. How close do you want to get? You know, you hear the question all the time, but I want to know exactly what you think. How right. close do you get to them? Roosted turkeys. Um, okay, so I'm going to take in a couple of factors into consideration. Terrain, and is it daylight or still dark? It's still dark. You can still move in on them, oh. and they can't see you. Well, I'm going to get as close as I realistically can. I mean. How, how close is that? I mean, I'll get 100 four, yards? I'll get 50 yards if I can. <laughs> okay. So the closer the better. The closer the better. Because the closer the better the closer the the closer he you are to him when he flies down and he has little less distance to travel to get him in gun range, we'll we'll either put him on the ground and he's dead when he hits the ground, or it keeps other hens it puts you closer to him before other hens can get to him. If he's not roosted with hens, you're just saying birds are gobbling and he's tr attracting hens at that time and he's gobbling on the roost. Well, he's pulling hens in. Well, if you're close to him when he hits the ground and you can kill him, then that takes the hen equation out of the factor because hopefully the hens do not cut in between you and 50 yards or 60 yards, literally on top of it. Does that always happen, Jay? Absolutely not. I mean, if the I will get as close as the darkness and the terrain allows me to get to that turkey because the closer, if, yep, the closer you are to him, the, the odds are in your favor to get him on the ground, to convince him you're a hen that's sitting here waiting for him to get on the ground with you so he can breathe. Yep. So let's say you've moved in on this gobbler. You feel like he's alone. You hear some hens off, say, 150, 100 yards to the left of him, mm. and you've moved in pretty tight, okay. and it's kind of dicey whether he's going to fly down or if he's just going to stay up in that tree. Do you get real aggressive with him and try and, you know, flap yeah. your wing like, like you're on the ground and get him to come to you first, 
or do you do you, well, do you wait till he hits the ground and then they hammer him or what here, do you do? here's the key to what you just said when you started that scenario for me you said those hens were 50, 150 yards to your left i will get in between him and those hens 150 yards to my left if i bump those hens i could give a i hope i bump those hens out of the roost and send them gotcha. going yeah absolutely because then the game okay. just got even more easier for me so i'm going to put <laughs> If I have the option that they're that far apart, I will get between them every single time. Now, many, many times, what I think the spinoff of this scenario would be is these roosted with hens, and they're really close to them. You can't close the distance. Well, in that case, I'm going to do, I'm going to sound like the sexiest, hottest hen in the woods, and I'm, I'm going to overcall to some degree, which I hate to do when they're on the roost, but I'm going to give three or four different style fly-down cackles with my wing and simulate that he's got four or five hens that have flown down before the other hens. I'm going to literally simulate them flying down slightly earlier than the, than the you know, the feel-good time that we all have whenever we, yeah. we think a turkey's going to fly down. Well, they often fly down earlier than you think they should fly down. Well, a hen will do that as well. So I will go ahead and fly down three or four or five different cackles, all with wing beats. I will hit the ground, I'll give a little bit of silence, and I will start communicating like a flock of hens is on the ground within, let's say you got 75 yards of him. He's got a flock of hens already on the ground waiting for him. And gotcha. then after I give them paint that initial picture of this flock of horny hens, if you will, I'm going to shut up and just go quiet and wait for him to fly down. Then the game will begin. We'll see, does he fly to those birds, those other hens? Do those hens fly right in on top of him and get in close to you? You know, it, you could call the hens into you, and then he flies down to the whole lot of you, and you kill him. So, I will that once I give that scenario, I get quiet and then let the game unfold by him getting on the ground. Awesome, yeah, that's that's great advice. That's great advice. Shifting gears just a bit, uh, as you move out west and hunt uh, Merriams and Rios as opposed to Osceola and Easterns, how does your locating calls? How do they change? Because I know out here in the west, you know we just don't have a lot of the owls like you guys have. We use a lot of the coyote. We use a lot of the, you know, uh, uh, crow call. Um, what has been your experience for Western birds, you know, Rios and, and Merriam's as opposed to your Eastern and Osceola location calls? Um, great question. I mean, <laughs> you're going to laugh. They gobbled their brains out in Nebraska, Northwest Nebraska at me, Bart owl hooting gobbled and gobbled and gobbled and i don't know if they've ever even heard an owl and all i will say is this we don't know well we do know that a turkey is not nearly as intelligent as we give them credit for i love these birds they are my life but yep. their in, their instincts their eyesight and their hearing and their ability to survive is what makes them so difficult to hunt more so than their actual intelligence okay so that being said what i question is a turkey, turkey's ability to rationalize things. When you blow a coyote, a coyote howler, I get it, they gobble. They hear coyotes. But my question is, is a gobbler, you locate a gobbler with a coyote howler, then you sit down and you start hen calling. Is that bird have the ability <laughs> to think, well, I'm not going to walk right over where I just heard coyotes howling. To sure. me, I don't give them, I mean, they're not the smartest as, as we're not as smart as we give them credit for, but at the same time, instinct should tell them, I'm not going over where I just heard a predator making making sound. Sure. So that does not blow anything out of the water as far as how good a coyote. I, I blew, my, my, my owl hooter will actually coyote howl. It's a long story, but it will. And I did that, and I did some howling with my throat, and they gobbled very well at it, but I would be hard-pressed 
to locate with an owl, I mean with a coyote, and then sit down sure. in that same position and try to call that turkey up. So my thought no, was that, I, I had, mean, that makes perfect sense. That I, makes perfect sense. I had great success with a crow. I had great success with an owl, and I had great success with a hawk screen. And then you okay. go even further where you've got elk, try an elk bugle, try a mm-hmm. mallard duck call, try a goose call. They all work, but but anything to me, in my opinion, outside of a predator call, it seems like it's a safer bet, in my opinion. So that yeah, I mean, I, you're exactly right. I use the coyote call a lot at night when I'm just running and gunning, trying. Let's say I haven't found any birds and right. I just want to strike birds in the dark. In the, the dark, coy- right? In the in the dark, oh. yeah, absolutely. In the dark, coyote howling. Um, early early morning, if I'm trying, if I have nothing going and I'm just trying to shock a bird somewhere, all coyote obviously the more light it gets, then the coyote call goes away and I switch to crow and, and everything else because I've had birds, you know, hammer, hammer, hammer. And, you know, you blow that, you know, you're trying, maybe they're a mile off as far as you, you know, get a half mile and you're just trying to, and you blow that coyote call. Well, you've gotten too close to them. They're, yeah. you know, they're, they're not going to answer. Well, he thinks the dang, you don't think they're coming to eat them. Yeah. He knows you're getting closer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It just makes yeah. good sense to me that a coyote would be great, like you said, what you do in the dark, maybe right at first daylight, just to get everything to sound off. And then I would probably switch gears. It, it, that would be my opinion of how I would handle a locator call when I'm, it, it, as far as it being a predator, you know. So, yeah. Scott, in conclusion here, uh, got a couple questions for you. Uh, in your everyday life, uh, y- you said you had to go back to work. What do you do? What do you do for a living, Scott? <laughs> I work for International Paper, uh-huh. and I am the East Region NPS Supervisor. NPS, NPS is an acronym for Machine Packaging Services, and what okay. I essentially do is manage a team of 15 um service technicians that handle the machines that IP leases to all of our board customers. When I say board, I mean container board, such as the boxes that the different packing houses use to, to pack produce. And we pack everything from, from watermelons to citrus to blueberries to um, tomatoes uh, all across the nation, from the eastern, about, about Texas east is everything okay. that I handle. And the, and we and I handle the logistics of shipping these machines that these customers lease from us all over the United States. We move our machines. They shift with the crops as the crops move up the United States based on on temperature, based based on um, uh, availability, you know. And um, mm-hmm. the, I manage the guys that maintain these machines for customers all across the eastern United States. And that's what I do for a full-time living, international payment. Okay. Yep. Okay, cool, cool. Um what is your favorite college football team, Scott? I'm born and raised in Florida, and that gives me three options. That's the Gators, mm-hmm. the Hurricanes, and the Seminoles, and I am a diehard Gator fan, my friend. <laughs> yeah, right on. Good. How's there, how are they going to be this year, do you think? Um, I don't know a, bu- a bunch about the guy. I came from Colorado, is that correct? Am I, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm embarrassed to say I forgot his name, so you put me on the spot. But I'm excited because Will Muschamp is gone, and it's time for change. You know, and, and you yeah. can't help but be excited because when you go into two or three losing seasons in a row, and you watch two or three games, and your team is struggling, it, it's just it takes the fun. Time to make a change. It, yeah. yeah, it takes the fun. It takes the wind out of your sails. It's not the same. Even if the team, if your team is six and four, you, you know, you're still doing something, but you know, to be a losing, having losing season t- two years in a row, it just, it takes, 
it takes the life out of you. So any change I think is good. And I think the, the Muschamp uh, saga has ran its course or era has ran its course. So I'm excited and ready for change. I don't know exactly. I haven't studied yet. I guess it's, I've got turkeys on the brain, buddy. Just like you. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Okay. A couple more questions. If you could pick a professional athlete, celebrity or, you know, singer or somebody that, that you haven't hunted with, who, who would that be? Who, who would you like to share a hunt with? Easy answer. I would love to hunt Rio Grande Gobblers with George Strait on his ranch in Texas. Yep. That would be sweet, wouldn't that it? Would be my, uh, that would be awesome. Big fan of George Strait. Will always be a fan of George Strait. Uh, probably a close second was is, is Blake Shelton, who owns property in Oklahoma and does hunt with my buddy Matt Moret. So, yeah, he Matt gets to go out there and hunt with him, and that's really awesome. Very, very privileged to get to do that. So that would be my two choices probably. Cool, cool. Yeah, those would both be uh, towards the top of my list for sure. Right. Um, Scott, that's awesome. We had a, a great hour here, and um, I want you to close a little bit with um, give me a little bit of of mouth calling, give me a little bit of box calling, and give me a little bit of slate, and, and just uh, give me a little 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 bit of each. A little bit of each. All right, yes, my sir. friend. Let me. Um... All right, had to grab something, buddy. Had to grab something. No sweat. So let's see here. We'll just do, we'll just do a quick rundown of uh, roost talk to a fly down to some cutting and yelping. How about that? That's awesome. All right, let's do it. We'll start off with a mouth call. This is my actually my Woodhaven uh, Scott Ellis Signature Series. Here we go. That sounded awesome. Thanks, brother. All right, now we're going to go into the Woodhaven. Um, this is the real hen. This is a uh, cherry. Cherry or walnut? What's that? Cherry. Okay. Cherry or walnut? Cherry. This is my cherry. So we'll do okay. some tree calling and the same same type of thing. That sounds sweet too. Yes, sir. It doesn't purr too good, as you know. A box call does not is not famous for purring real good. So I just kind of left that out. But and now we'll go into uh, the Vision Crystal with the uh, flare tip laminate birch striker. Here we go.
There you go. That's the vision crystal, buddy. <laughs> Man, that's pure turkey right there, Scott. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, one of the best in the business. He's won just about every turkey calling contest under the sun and uh, just an awesome guy. Scott, it's always great to, to see you. I'm Thanks, sorry Dave. I missed you this year at the uh, at the NWTF. Uh, we must have just pa crossed paths several times. And, uh, no problem, buddy. Uh, Thanks look, for having look, me on the show. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. And uh, uh, tell tell my listeners one more time where they can find Mouth Call Magic One and Two and uh, your YouTube channel and and such. Oh gosh, find me on Facebook, Scott C Ellis. I've got a personal page that I think it unfortunately is maxed out, but I got a fan page and I keep interacting with people and you can message and we I talk to people every day. It's awesome. My website to buy Mouth Call Magic One and Two is www.scottellishunting.com. That's where you can purchase Mouth Call Magic 1 and 2. I have a YouTube channel that has tons of turkey tips as well and a few hunts as well. Um, that is going to just search Scott Ellis. and the uh, Go into the browser on, on YouTube and search Scott Ellis. That's the name of my channel. And um, I think that's about it, my friend. That's about all of it. That's awesome. Well, you guys uh, have a great season this year, and I'll try and check in with you mid-season, see how things are going, text you some pictures. You do the same, and God bless you. And uh, uh, we'll be chatting at you soon. Okay, Scott? Thank you. You too, Jay. Thanks so much for having me. I had a blast, buddy. All right, buddy. Take care. Thanks for everything. What an awesome show we just had with world champion turkey caller Scott Ellis of Woodhaven Turkey Calls. Uh, if you guys haven't been to Scott's website, uh, you need to go on there. It's a great resource. Uh, he's a He's an unbelievable uh, resource for turkey hunting and turkey calling, and I just want to thank him for being on the show today. I want to thank you, our listeners, uh, J. Scott Outdoors podcast, uh, for listening. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on iTunes uh, and uh, give us some five-star ratings. You can also send questions and comments to jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Until next week, God bless.